For those in search of a new car, Labor Day weekend is traditionally a bargain hunter's paradise. But this year, the big inflatable gorillas and all the discounts, uh, that, that is virtually gone. Lingering supply chain slowdowns are thinning out car lots and leaving prospective buyers empty-handed. We're seeing challenges with, of course, microchips, but it's also tires. It's the resin we use in paint. It's the seat. It's the wiring harnesses, and the list goes on and on. A new report shows the majority of cars this month have sold within just 10 days of arriving at a dealership. The lack of inventory and high demand are driving up the average new car price at more than $46,000 in August, a record. And with more interest rate hikes on the horizon, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. Financing your vehicle may become even more expensive. On Thursday, President Biden will hold a primetime address on, quote, the soul of the nation. The president will speak at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, where he is expected to lay out his argument that America's freedoms and democracy are at stake, something he argued when he first announced his presidential run. And we're here to say that the era of Trump and Zeldin and Molinaro, just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? Get out of town. Get out of town. Because you, you don't represent our values. You are not New Yorkers. And the decisions were made to have all the kids go home and learn remotely. Wow. Wow. What a mistake that was. We have to get with this idea that most of our energy has to come, hopefully, within the tail end of my lifetime, be coming from green and renewable sources, you know, in, in our commonwealth. And to the extent that the, the state can affect that, that's really the prime driver as far as that's concerned. So uh, I would be uh, proud to, to be at the tip of that spear. But so are housing two different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated, they're allowed to stay. But, Why? But that's not how it works. Yeah, like we actually no. I know that that's not what you guys want to happen, but that is what what has happened. But that's not. It's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not. That's yeah, not how. What's happening? We thousands of people are walking in a day. Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening. So. Let me just lay out what we have done. Attorney General of the state of Delaware. And what he used to do is go down to the east side, the what called the bucket, highest crime rate in the country. There's a place where I used to, I was the only white guy that worked as a lifeguard down in that area, on the east side. And you know where the, you can always tell where the best basketball in the state is and the best basketball in the city is. These policies that are ESG driven and morally driven that we should convert everything to alternative energy tomorrow, um, are going to end up starving the poor children of the world. Like it's, it's, and killing many of them. So it's, it's, it's counterintuitive that that could actually happen. And that's what we're seeing, Melissa, with the prices at a thousand dollars a megawatt hour, a thousand euros a megawatt hour. You know, you're going to see, you're going to see real problems in Europe. I can't believe it's not on the front page of every day, but every day. Welcome back, everybody, to the last episode of the Unregulated Podcast. For the month of August, don't panic. This is number 99 here on Wednesday, August 31st. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle. And I'm Aaron Judge. Number 99. Number 99. Yeah. Number 99 with 51. The 10-year, $500 man. The 10th. For the the Only the 10th time a Yankees hit 50 home runs. I say only the 10th time. That's like four more times than any other team, so... eh. And does that include the steroid era? Mm, or is, yeah. that, is that included? Does that include McGuire and Sosa? No, no, no. Just he's or? it's just the tenth season a Yankee has hit more than fifty home runs. Oh, 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 oh. He's done right. it twice. Mantle's done it. Did it twice. Um, uh, Ruth did it four times. I think Rick Eric did it once, and then somebody else snuck in there. I can't remember who. I should I should pay closer attention to you when you're talking. I missed that Yankees part. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Lots of people think that. <laughs> okay. Announcements. Do you have any announcements? Mr. I want to thank uh, Brian Klippenstein for his um, 
for his excellent suggestions that are going to wind up both here and in the columns. So I appreciate that. Brian was especially productive the last couple of days. My informal, um, my informal um, manager of product. And um, that's it for announcements. I have a couple of things I want to say, but that's it. for announcements. Right, I, got, I got a few announcements since we're, since we're appreciating contributors to the American energy Alliance and Washington times co-hosted unregulated podcast. We should give a shout out to our producer and actually reveal his name at some point here. Alex Stevens, thanks for all your work getting this thing done and making us sound sound good. And also, he he who shall not be named uh, with the initials DS. Thank you for your contributions uh, to podcast fodder. Uh, and you know what if you know what that is, you know what that is. And uh, yesterday was my sister's birthday. Yikes. Happy birthday, Pia. Uh, and also some sad news. My uh, my wife's uncle, Moonjal, passed away on Monday. Sorry about that. Uh, he spent most of his life in Queens until recently moved to Silver Spring to be closer to his daughter and grandchildren. He was an avid tennis fan who went to the Open U.S. Open practically every year until his health started falling. And his only real downfall was that he was a, a pretty avid Mets fan as I well. I was going to say, anybody anybody who goes to the U.S. Open is a Mets fan. That's just rule number one of the world. <laughs> exactly. You can't He's find a true, true, true blue Queens man. No Yankee, uh, no Yankee fan is, no Yankee fans ever going over to Shea Stadium. They'll be ridiculous. He, he loved his queen. And may he rest in peace and, and may the whole family, uh, you know, have strength in this difficult time. And I have one last one, my amazing co-host Mike McKenna can now retire from his career because he was prominently featured in the New York Post today. <laughs> Way to go, my man. I, Congratulations. I, I'm, I'm going to probably live off that for the rest of my life. I'm going I'm to be talking about that in Florida in retirement in 40 years. People are boring You're going to need to stuff. frame that bad boy. That was, that was good stuff. It's ridiculous. Um, I, got, uh, I got two things. I got a couple of cleanup items. Uh, I don't think I said soccer was terrible. I just said it was last week. I just said it was unwatchable, which is true by any demonstrable metric. Um, the other thing I'd point out about soccer is it is, in fact, the sport of the British colonizer. So if you're an Irishman playing soccer, you need to get a life. And if you're an Indian or Pakistani, South African, if you're any of these people basically playing soccer, you're playing a colonizer sport. I just want to point that out real quick. And it's a terrible sport. And we fought two wars in this country, so we wouldn't have to watch people jog. That's basically what soccer is, <laughs> watching people jog. Um, so that's thing one. Thing two, uh, the, other, the other cleanup from last week is, I know you're not allowed to say anything about soccer. You probably got kids who play soccer. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, perfectly, uh, I'm perfectly happy to join you in my disdain for watching. Although I will say that when I was in Europe a few years back to attend a dear friend's wedding, and uh, um, I toured Eastern Europe and uh, for the most part, I was able to catch four World Cup soccer games in the host countries, and it was pretty. It was pretty impressive. It's especially soccer. the ones in Croatia. No, no, I'm not talking about the games. I'm talking about the fans. Oh, the events. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get that. Let's, yeah. let's let's be honest. I mean, I didn't go to the actual games, but we sat around in bars and like watched with the rest of the I'm locals. I'm sure. I'm sure it's about one. Completely. I'm sure it's about one third of the intensity of your run-of-the-mill Alabama-Tennessee game in October. Um, so that, and then the other thing is there was some confusion about what I um meant to say about exports, which probably was caused by what I said. Let me just be clear about this. As prices increase and the prices, domestic prices in the United States of energy are going to increase, right, even through the recession that we're, we're in, um, there's going to be a lot of political pressure to restrict exports. And, and I've been saying that for a couple of years now. And sure enough, the day after last week, um, um, Secretary Granholm turns out she sent a letter to a bunch of refiners saying hey you guys should figure out how to way how to a way to build product inventory in other words you guys should stop exporting your stuff or i'm going to take some measures right um so downward pressure on um downward political pressure on exports i think and i don't think that's a good thing i'm just saying i think it's a thing so that's uh, two. Third one I is wish they would put. I would. I wish they would stop putting downward political pressure on 
the resource extraction industry uh, because that's really the biggest part of this whole problem. Well, just there'd put. Be plenty, just, what do you, there'd be plenty of plenty enough to go around if they just let these guys do what they do. What, so. What's your guys' list but at that's now? A different point. What's your guys' that's list at? One hundred and forty, one hundred and eighty. How many? How many things? Oh, no, Alex, we need to producer. We need to update that list because it's circulating again, and I know there's more than than when we when we last did it so yeah just add it all right one last thing and i think i'm ready to call this and it's going to cause you some some dismay some some concern oh, by the way include before you finish including we have not updated it to include this behemoth monstrosity that they claim to call the inflation reduction act so sorry about that go ahead no worries i know what you're going to say i'm not i'm prepared for it i, I hope uh, you're I was, prepared for I'm prepared it. for it i've been thinking about this quite a bit over the last month in fact more than probably anything else in my life i believe that the yankees are not going to be able to make the playoffs this year despite the fact that they still lead in the east by seven whole games and six in the loss column and let me do the math for you real quick the Yankees have 32 games left. The Tampa Bay Rays have 34 games left, team closest to them, right? If the Yankees go 13-19, and 19, which is what they've gone over their last 32 games, if they do just as well in the last 32 as they – in the next 32 as they've done in the last 32, all the Rays are going to have to do to catch them and pass them is to go 22-12. and 12. That is a very doable number for the Rays. I think they're going to do that. I think the Yankees are not only not going to win the division – I think they're not going to win the wild. They're not going to um, make the wild card either. So that's a pretty tall prediction. I I would go with you on the the possibility of a shattering, uh, horrific collapse to lose the lose the division, but even not making the wild card. I believe I I believe our next are the next thirty two wild card. Our next 32 games are mostly against Boston, Tampa, and Toronto with a couple of uh, – three against the Orioles, I think, and four against the Rangers tossed in there. Um, we're, we are currently sporting a 3-3 three and three record against two of the worst teams in the American League, right? Oakland and yeah. California. Uh, what do they call themselves now? California? Los Angeles? It was not, Anaheim? A, it was not, a, it was not a good road trip. You're right. But even if they and, win and tonight. Baltimore is no shrinking violet. You're either. right. I was going to say. So, so even if they win tonight, they'll be four and three on the westward swing. I think we know how the three games in Tampa are going to go this weekend. Not well. So anyway, that's a, that's my happy thought. I'll have I'll have happier thoughts as we go on. All right. Okay, let's do a little this day in history. Uh, let's knock it out here. In 1888, on this day in history. Uh, 18... 1888. James Garfield's widow gets remarried. No, but <laughs> you're not, well, you're, you're not close, but. but <laughs> you're not uh, close. Jack the Ripper oh, kills his first person. The first victim of London's serial killer, Jack the Ripper, a prostitute by the name of Mary Ann Nichols, is found murdered and mutilated in the city's Whitechapel district. London saw four more victims of the murderer during the next few months, but no suspect was ever found. Mm. Thus, uh, let's see, Jack uh, the, however, two letters written by the same individual alluded to crime facts known only to the police and the killer. These letters, signed Jack the Ripper, gave rise to the serial killer's popular nickname. So, yeah. And, and, and any comments on that one? I don't even know what to say. I think he was considered one of the first serial killers, right? How would anybody know, right? I mean... My personal fan favorite would probably be the Roman legions were serial killers too, but yeah, I would say that happened. All right. 1990. This is kind of a fun fact. We got from super seventies sports guy from Twitter. August 31st, 1990. Yes, sir. Ricky Henderson sets the all time <laughs> no, record for steals. You can always throw Ricky Henderson yeah, in there. Right? Just 1990. Right. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Ricky Henderson. Right. No, no. Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. became the first father and son to play together in a major league game. Okay. 
1997. Nineteen ninety on this date, nineteen ninety seven. Yes, on this day, nineteen ninety seven, August thirty first, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Uh, Princess Diana gets killed. You got it. You got it. One out of three this week. Well done. It's amazing. Well done. It's like it's like a the Jack the Ripper thing. Who could see that coming? Come on, man. <laughs> I always had to have one in there that like you will never get seriously. So. All right. So Biden's big speech tonight. Tomorrow night, as Mika. Oh, tomorrow night. Yes, sorry. Yeah. As Mika pointed out, the battle for the soul of the nation. It sort of sounds like a like a WWF wrestling thing, doesn't it? Yeah, you can maybe go uh, do pay per view on this thing. Yeah, right? exactly. So, doesn't it sound like you know you know an Indian strap match for the soul of the nation? I, it or whatever. I, all right, I know that you have some pretty. Well, let me set this up first. I want to play a clip from Fox with uh, one of the, you know, Republican strategists or whatever. Her name is Lisa Booth. Yeah. Uh, I want to play this clip and then want to play one more clip because like you and I, I think many of us are getting sick and tired of being called exactly that, which we think the other side exudes. So hold on. It's today. Well, look, I think Joe Biden would love to stir things up because he would love to give the FBI and the DOJ an excuse to further weaponize against Americans and against patriotic Americans. You know, and the guy who was actively trying to imprison his political opponent wants to talk about fascism, right? Unless he's giving an instructional how to be a fascist, he has no leg to stand on here. But one of the biggest lies that Americans were told is that Joe Biden is a good guy. If you think about it, this is a guy who led two of the most terrible confirmation hearings in American history, where he smeared and slandered Robert Bork and Clarence Thomas when he was the Senate Judiciary Chairman. And Mary Ellen Bork, the late Robert Bork's wife, even wrote to the Wall Street Journal heading into the 2020 election, warning us that Joe Biden is a man without a compass who viciously smeared and led a, a character assassination against her late husband. This guy is a prolific liar. He is a plagiarist, had a dropout of a previous presidential race because of that. And the only reason anyone thinks Joe Biden is a good man is because he has suffered so much loss and he uses that loss, he uses that grief for political purposes as both a shield and a sword as we saw when he got 13 service members killed and then tried to invoke the death of his late son who died of cancer who did not die in the line of duty. So one of the biggest lies we were ever told is that Joe Biden is a good man. He is a terrible president, and even worse human being. Well, I guess she sort of laid it out there, right? <laughs> so she's a no vote. <laughs> it, 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 well, it, I mean, it, it, is, it is true, though. Like, you, we make fun of the guy. He does his, you know, and, and it's like that. He really did sort of, and obviously aided and abetted by the, the, the mainstreams. But, like, he's, we've, we've said it, like, all the time. He ne he's never right on foreign policy, which is what, Obama supposedly uh, brought him on to help balance his, you know, woefully inadequate resume, but he's not a good guy. No, I, I, at all. I'm I'm not completely clear who thinks he is. I I've said for years. I, I think I've said on this on this show showgram here. Uh, he he's he's an agitator. He's a professional agitator. He he always has been. He's he's. He's always the the third guy in a fight in hockey, right? He's he's a professional agitator. That's fine. The problem is, is that you know, used to be the rule in American politics. You said whatever you wanted to say about your rival, but you laid off his voters because they might be your voters at some point. But in yeah. the last fifteen days, the Democrats have decided, you know what? We're just going to disqualify a bunch of voters too. I mean, it's him. Well, I mean, that's why I played the Kathy. Hochul. Sure, of course. You know, you're you're not from New York. you're not from New York. I mean, you know, think about this. Think about what we're getting here. We're getting a battle for the soul of America from a guy from Wilmington, Delaware, of all places, and from a guy who. Well, let's put it this way: he's worked for the government for forty years, but somehow he's managed to have two houses worth four million bucks in total. So. Um, and we're getting advice on who's a New Yorker from some lady from Canada. Is she from Canada? Isn't Hokul from Canada? She's from Buffalo. What's the difference? <laughs> yeah. 
and Charlie Look, Crist. And, and we got the same thing from Charlie Crist in Florida, right? I mean, you know, Char- Charlie, played that quick. you know, Charlie, Charlie Crist is a circus freak, but he's down there telling us who's an American and who's not, and who's, you know, who's going to, whose vote he wants and doesn't want it, it. It, we're in some, I'm really worried about this speech. And you know me, I don't really get worried about speeches because I know most people don't watch them, but yeah, I, I, the, the president is edging towards some really terrible thing that he's going to regret that we're all going to regret. You know, if you, once the leader of a party starts doing something like this, we're, we're pretty short step away from, you know, um, from fire bombings and graffiti of, of opponents, uh, facilities and whatnot. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Well, I mean, those, I just, those have already happened. I, as I've said on numerous occasions, the, the, this is projection. The Democrats are so good at telling you what the other side is or does or telling you what their policies will do, how they will help you. But if you look at if you look at it, they literally are just I mean, who which party has banned a sitting pre, like which ideology has banned a sitting president? From social media well right i mean you know which party which 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 you know these folks have jailed supporters of the former president yeah and some of raided his house and, you know then some, they go on they go on and call us a fascist they call us a fascist well some of them des- the, the, some of them deserve to be in jail let's be honest but let's be honest about some other things right M- Mussolini, um who knew a thing or two about fascism when asked to define it, said everything in the state, nothing outside the state, nothing against the state. And I'm thinking, yes, and if exactly. you, you think to yourself, huh, what organized political party in the United States does that sound like? It doesn't sound yeah. like the Republicans. And, and I'm sure um, uh, Joan, Jonah Goldberg would will walk his book back now because he's you know firmly making a living in the never trump world but he actually wrote a really good book called liberal fascism sure a couple decades back now and and it laid that whole case out like who are the fascists i want to talk about it that's true the fascistes right the guys who took the the bundles of sticks um i i I never do this but i'm going to do this um there's a column that's gonna um go under my name on this thing it's going to post up in the Washington post, Times. Washington Thank you very Times. much. It's going to post up in about six hours. I encourage everybody to read it. It's uh, it's got some questions for for President Biden before he starts asking us a bunch of questions. We will uh, include that in show notes as well because it will probably run. This will probably run after that uh, anyway. That's so. true. I forgot. Oh, about and, that. and speaking. So, anyways, the point is, is that I see. I get what they're doing. You know, even if we're sitting around talking about how outraged we are about the language that they're using, if we're sitting around talking about the raid, we're not talking about the fact that this is the crappiest economy, probably in my, at least my, my adolescent and adult lifetime. We're not talking about the fact that his foreign policy blunders have cost American soldiers their lives. We're not talking about the fact that they they are giving they're literally like like violating the constitution left and right to to give money away to their to their special interests we're not talking about the fact that the cumulative impacts of these policies uh are devastating we're not talking about the fact that he is probably the worst president at least since jimmy carter and probably now at this point worse than jimmy carter so yeah, uh, and and that's what they that's what they're hoping that happens is that everyone focuses on you know, the, the Trump stuff. Yeah, the good news is, I mean, the good news is, the good news is most people don't care, right? But I mean, we'll get into this in a second or two. But most voters, they don't care about this stuff until it actually hits them. And you know, this administration's been hitting them: gas prices, natural gas prices, now electricity prices will follow, inflation, housing, um, food. Everywhere you turn, this thing's a, a mess, right? Yeah. Uh, we're going to get into that, too, because I got uh, a segment on polling. Um, 
Really? So wow. back to Kathy Hochul, very, very, very briefly. Yeah, from, 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 from Canada? Uh, uh, from Buffalo. Just to further outrage my fellow New York uh, friends and family, here's another one from, from the governor. The decisions were made to have all the kids go home and learn remotely. Wow. Wow. What a mistake that was. <laughs> Oh wait, there's there's more. There's one more short. There's one more short one tagged onto that. Sure. What a mistake that was. Women couldn't go to their jobs. They lost their jobs, or they fought their back at their jobs. And one child in a classroom tests positive. The whole class goes home for a week and a half. It was chaos. Nothing short of chaos, and it just seems to have not ended. <laughs> you know, can't. I mean, you can't even invent this stuff. Like, if I tried to like create this scenario where she wants you to pretend she had nothing to do with any of that, well, right at the top, right? She said decisions were made. I mean, deci yeah. decisions were made. Yeah. You know, it, it. Wow. It. What a mistake that was. I, I get this question from people occasionally, from reporters, from friends, from people in focus groups. I'm like, they're like, why do people hate politicians so much? I'm like. This is why people hate politicians so much, not because they make mistakes, but because they never own them. Everybody else in this country owns their mistakes. Um, not, not elected officials. Decisions were made. You know, nobody in the crowd ever gets up and says, excuse me, who made those decisions? I, 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 um, there's only two places in American politics where there's absolutely no feedback. Right. One of them is a political speech and the other is the sermons on Sunday. Right. Nobody ever gets up and says, excuse me, can I offer an alternative point of view to either one of those things? Right. It, it, right. It's it's I. You know, if she if she was from America, I'd be upset, but I know she's from Canada. So <laughs> I'm not. Uh, governors, uh, hopefully Zeldin will capitalize oh. on this stuff, but we'll get into this. God we'll get into this uh, a little bit later uh, uh, on the subject of Republicans capitalizing on things. Let's do a little energy. Let's do a little energy first before we get into politics. Sure. Uh, I got a, uh, found an article from actually uh, Lou. Uh, our friend Lou from Epic sent me this. Our content provider. from Financial Times. Financial Times. This is um, from yesterday, I think. Yeah, yeah I think it's yesterday. Perfect storm energy crunch lengthens life of coal power in U.S. I, I just want to read the subheading. Solar project delays, high gas prices, and hot weather blamed as generators remain online. Util U.S. utilities are extending the lives of their coal-fired power plants as delays in obtaining Cleaner replacements and strong electricity demand drive fears of shortfalls on the grid. Three coal generators this month joined a growing list of plants whose planned retirement date has been postponed, bringing to at least eight the number of deferrals this year. And this is in the this is the reporting. The delays are a setback, at least temporarily, to the country's effort to wean itself off the dirtiest fossil fuel. So, yeah, um, yeah. Three years. Uh, o Omaha Public Power District has a three-year extension for one of their for one of their units. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're sailing into a uh, world, how's that green? How's that transition coming along? I, I was going to say back to back to prices being linked up. If you're gonna if you're gonna live in a world where natural gas is ten bucks per, you're gonna have a lot of companies who want to keep their coal plants open, right? And this isn't Europe. Right, the world, our world is not yet insane enough to value um, carbon reductions or whatever over reliability and affordability. Um, so you know, we're not going to just willy-nilly close stuff. Keep in mind, well, Germans, it, it, Germans are still going ahead with closing those last three nuclear power plants. It's it's funny though because it it also shows you the sort of the mind of utility world, right? Like in spite of all the, the, the chit chat and all the conversations, they're just going to do what they need to do. That's one right. Way or the other. Well, and then they're just going to like, you know, put, you know, uh, you know, just cover it up or whatever. Well, right? they're like, not going to cover oh, it. No, it's a, it's an unfortunate decision that we have made a difficult, the quote was oh, this yeah, is yeah, a yeah, difficult yeah. decision. Yeah. Is 
necessary to remain the reliable electricity well, service our communities and countries. Like, why don't you say, you know, we're glad to, we we're, we're glad we're keeping the power. We're glad on. to keep the power on. We're, we are glad to provide customers with reliable electricity. Because because the people who make those statements are vice presidents of sustainability and or vice presidents of media, not the vice presidents in charge of operations who would say, you know what, we looked at the whole world we're looking at. And we made our best decisions for reliability and affordability for our customers. And thank you. And you're welcome. Right? Yeah. So, you know, there's, I mean, that's the way the world is, right? There's people who have to do stuff. And then there's the propagandists who have to pave it over afterwards. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're, we're I think that we're getting top heavy on the, on the ladder. And you not think the we're getting top heavy on the propagandists? Yeah. You have a president who's calling half the country fascist. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention in the clips, the gentleman who said, I would be proud to be at the tip of the spear in transitioning Pennsylvania away from fossil fuels is John Fetterman. Yeah. Who's running for the U.S. Senate in, in this, the Commonwealth. Uh, would like to be uh, leading the charge to get away from natural gas in Pennsylvania. So Yeah, he, he's... Well, he's the real deal. I, I'll make that prediction in a second or two. How about if we say it that way? Sure, sure. All right. Let me let me switch over to another energy issue. Two years ago, we took a risk. We came out front and did an executive order saying in 2035, California was going to lead the way on alternative fuel vehicles. Tomorrow, California Resources Board is going to codify that. We will be the first jurisdiction in the world to require all new cars to be sold to be alternative fuel cars. That is Governor Gavin, Governor Gavin Newsom in California. And, and it's true to, what, true to what he said on August 25th, the California Air Resources Board indeed adopted a rule that would require 30% electrification of light duty vehicles by 2026 and 100% by 2035. Yeah. His hair looks great, man. You oh, can't yeah. see it on radio, but his hair looks great. Uh, of course, uh, this requires a clean uh, a waiver from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, which for all intents and purposes is kind of a fait accompli in this administration right they can't go backwards now so uh you know to think that this well what do i care it doesn't affect me it's just california they're nuts let them eat their high energy prices and all that other good stuff uh it this would grandfather at least 16 states possibly 17 yeah depending on what virginia and pennsylvania and a couple others do yeah 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 which means that it has the potential to become a requirement in 40% of the entire United States vehicle market. Um, yeah. I mean, here's, there's two, there's two problems. Um, there's two problems. There's more than two, but go no, ahead. No, no, there, there's really only two problems here. First off, um, right. The waiver is probably illegal. Um, you know, California's right. and it's, it, eventually it's going to be adjudicated right at some point. Right. And if you know, if 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 there was anything that looked like a major questions, this looks like a major question. Right. We're going to we're going to change the entire vehicle fleet of the United States in uh, 12 years. That that's a major question. Right. And I mean, the, the waiver, the waiver authority resides in the Clean Air Act of 1977. Right. The um, and ratified by the Clean Air Act amendments in 1990. The um, the uh, the regulation is going to travel under the the uh, vehicle miles traveled the uh, MPG authority set forth in the Energy Policy and Conservation Act of seventy five, which specifically says states can't do that. You can't have a separate state program. So the waiver isn't quite right here, and the um, the the EPCA provision, right? The miles per gallon transference is flat out out. So Supreme Court's going to bounce this. That's the legal side of this. I mean, I, I, there's zero doubt in my mind, you know, like I said, if there's ever been a major question, this is it. The um, thing that I worry about is this. 
and I think this is what's likely to happen, is that even if it gets bounced, the car guys are just going to say, you know what, we're going to engage in voluntary compliance and go forward on the EVs. This is where the citizens come in. The only way that this is not going to happen um, is if the consumers refuse to buy electric vehicles or prefer gas-powered vehicles in sufficient quantity that they're that the manufacturers have to make them. So we're launching ourselves into a probably a 15-year experiment on can the government force people to do something that many of them clearly do not want to do. Um, I don't know how that's going to turn out. Well, I mean, the, we had a vaccine mandate, so. Yeah, you I, know. I, I, you know, the funny thing is that probably hurts this thing. Doesn't help it, right? Because, because, uh, you know, whatever lingering, um, and I don't understand this, but whatever lingering confidence there was in government experts, the last couple of years have really ground down to nothing, you know. So now when they need an expert, people are just going to be like, forget it. I'm not listening to you. I also wonder, and this is interesting, right? Something to think about. Um, you know, I get the feeling this is about to partisanize, right? It's about to become partisan that you're not going to get anybody who buys a pickup truck to really buy an electric pickup truck. That's not going to happen, right? Because those guys all vote Republican. Well, I I think that's, I think there's a couple of things. One, we've talked about this, right? I think you you're going to cut when you hear stories about how when you tow anything you lose about half the bet you know you lose about half the distance on a charge uh these things are not going to work for people first of all yeah right it's, it's a That's, less they're going to it's a less gonna, good product it's a less good right. product it is become a symbol yeah it's a really uh, and in china you know they're everyone's boasting about how uh ev sales in china are up significantly uh 26 percent, i think year over year yeah that's because china can force people to do whatever the government wants them to do right that's called their communist system of government yeah i mean i also so, i also assume that in china if you're a member of the communist party you got to buy one right it's going to be like that with the democrats here soon shortly you know if you can sort of feel it already if you're if you're a Democrat, you're going to need to buy one of these things just to protect yourself. And, you know, and anybody who drives something like a Suburban or a pickup truck, <laughs> they're going to be viewed. They're going to be viewed right away as, hey, that guy's a Republican. That guy's a Trump guy. OK, so I want to do a couple more things on the on the practicality side of this. Uh, in the first place, um, as you mentioned, it it takes away choice. Right. Um but let's talk about just California alone. Let's assume this doesn't affect, you know, 18 other states, including New York, New Jersey, Nevada, Minnesota, Maryland, Maine. All you folks are, are having your choice taken away from you. California's grid, California ISO, which is the, the folks who sort of manage the grid there in California, sent out a, a, a issue, a, a heat bulletin yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Excessive heat starting tomorrow. Will stress energy grid consumer conservation likely needed this weekend to avert power outages starting tomorrow through Tuesday. California is expecting extreme heat to strain the grid, blah, blah, blah. During a flex alert, consumers are urged to reduce energy use from 4 to 9 p.m. when the system is most stressed because demand for electricity remains high and there is less solar energy available. The top three conservation actions are to set thermostats to 78 or higher, avoid using large appliances, yep. and charging electric vehicles. Don't charge your car. <laughs> okay. So in the same week, governor's all proud of his, you know, first, first, I'm the first guy in the world to, you know, shove this EV down your throat. Uh, and his his grid operator said, "Don't charge your EVs." Yeah, well, you know, California is a California is a particular basket case on electricity, right? They import 35 percent of their electricity from other states, and those states are now drying up as far as excess generating capacity. So there's there's no way there's no way you're going to work any significant number of EVs without some increase in the transmission system. And 
you know, we're just not having any of that. That's right. I'm just, I'm looking at it from all kinds of different angles. I'm thinking the only, the only way this works is, is if the consumers go along with it and ultimately say, yeah, that's what we want. And, And I'm just not, I'm not saying it's not there. But it doesn't feel like well, it's there if, yet. If history is a guide, it won't be because most advances in technology occur when you get something better. Yeah, something better comes no, along, right? No, you know, yeah, you know, you didn't mandate. We didn't mandate the, you know, the banning of flip phones in order to get the iPhone. Not maybe it's not better. Right. Uh, it's funny but, you say that. So I was talking. I was out talking in Texas to a, to a bunch of French um, executives. A bunch. Um, I'll call it an energy company. Um, a bunch of French energy executives. We were talking about the likelihood of all this stuff in the United States having some material impact on the world. And, and I kind of went through the numbers with him. And the guy next to me, uh, you know, his general counsel, and he'd been in the States and he'd been out in the world for a while. And, and he said, unless somebody comes along with something cheaper tomorrow morning. I'm like, well, yeah, of course. If somebody invents something better and cheaper and cleaner, then yeah, everyone's going to go for it right away. I said, the whole point of this government stuff is there isn't anything there that's better. Otherwise, government wouldn't have to be shoveling $80 billion a year at it. And, exactly. You know, it, 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 he had his point, and I, I agreed with it, right? That, that if, somebody, if something happens in the intervening time, if somebody really invents a zero emissions vehicle that works well, that is cheaper and doesn't rely on China and doesn't um, put an additional strain on the grid, then yeah. But you know what? Chances of that happening and getting socialized in the next 12 years, not high. Yeah, not exactly. High. Exactly. Well, good news in Virginia um, already on two, uh, in two, two, two instances. The first is, this is a little tangential, uh, Governor Yunkin uh, formalized his intention of removing Virginia from the regional gra- greenhouse gas initiative. Yeah, man. Today, yeah, which was basically a, a backdoor carbon tax, a regressive energy tax on Virginians that was jammed in, uh, down his throat by the previous administration. Thank you, Governor Yunkin, for following up on your commitment there. Uh, the other thing is already, as a result of this California deal, the uh, GOP, as you mentioned, the partisan nature of this, the Republican leaders in Virginia said that they want to get the law changed uh, to get Cal- to get Virginia out of yeah. the straitjacket that they're in that was put in them by Governor McAuliffe um, and the Democrats when they controlled the, the, the both bodies in the in the uh, assembly in the Senate. Yeah. There's one Democrat in the one. There's a one vote majority for Democrats in the Senate. The question is, is will they get a flip? Yeah, they uh, need to get. They, they, yeah, like they. That. Yeah. So, so Chap Peterson's from Fairfax. He's probably going to wind up being a no on this. But uh, Joe Morrissey is from Petersburg. Very concerned about. Um, very concerned about the minority community down there, right? Um, I think it's probably about a sixty percent African American um, Senate district. Joe, Joe's going to vote the right way on this thing, I think. The, yeah. So, the, so Virginia will soon be out of the California. Theoretically, it'll be next session, right? It won't be soon. It'll be January, February, March, right? I will say one thing real quick. You got a little, got a little revenge of Andy, Andy Wheeler going on here. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up. But uh, well, yeah. Why not? I mean, he's down there. He's doing the Lord's yeah. work down there, yeah, he and, is. and he, and you know, it's, it's. So good for Andy. I'm I'm glad. I'm glad that he's got a got a clean shot at this thing and is doing the right thing with it. I'm not surprised absolutely. he's doing the right thing. I'm glad. Absolutely. Absolutely. So okay, so um that's my energy stuff for the day. You got anything? Other energy wise? Yeah. Yeah, I want to point out just a couple of things. First off, um first off, uh, electricity prices in Europe are about six X what they were last year, um, six times higher. Natural gas price is about eight X. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything that's bringing them down. So, and and the European, whatever, the, the European mandarins, and um, even the shell guys were saying that, hey, this looks like a multi-year problem, five to ten-year kind of thing. So, I have no idea how the how you have a thriving economy when you're paying prices 
15 times higher than everybody else for your energy. But there it is. The other thing that no one's talking about in Europe. Well, I, hey, let me, for the record, I didn't sure. want to bring that up. I only played that clip to point out the human side of the problem. Sure. Where the guy was talking about, you know, possibly killing people. Uh, Cause last week you were like, Hey, yeah, I thought long and hard about this whole Europe thing. And you know what? I don't care anymore what they do to themselves. Yeah. I don't really. I mean, I, I, it's, I'm look, you know, you, you get the government you deserve. I want you to think about that when you're watching Joe Biden on Thursday. But um, the other thing about Europe that's interesting, two other things that are interesting. First off, the way they're dealing with the high prices and the way they're going to deal with the high prices is they're just going to subsidize everybody, all the all the kids. So the government is going to wind up eating all of that, which, of course, is going to accelerate um, the increased prices, right, and make the, and make the governments less financially stable. So that's a huge problem, and no one's talking about it. The other thing that's going on is they're taking over companies, right? The French have already taken uh, – Germans have taken over Uniper, which is a great big giant utility there, and the French have taken over EDF. Um, and no one yeah, said anything about – no one said anything at all about it. Basically, you've had two big utility failures in Europe in the last six weeks, and no one has said a word about it. Yeah, this is a problem. I mean, this, this is the further, uh, you know – uh, the of the death spiral of subsidization and the further damage caused by the, the solution to more government intervention in energy markets from the perspective of the left is further government intervention yeah in yeah you gotta you gotta have some they gotta have some demand destruction and they gotta get some supply i mean this is this is terrible they're still they're still the europeans are still talking as if as if um more application of of what's gone wrong is going to solve the problem i'm just like okay keep going boys yeah Yeah, i have had it yeah i have had it i mean you know it's it's uh the amount of the amount of um the amount of delusion at least public delusion is pretty high like i said i talked to these french guys last week they understood the problem but they're obviously not allowed to speak freely because you know they're they too are partially owned by the french government and that's yeah. you know that's ultimately the problem with all these um with all these governments that are totalitarian in nature right um by the way another uh uh indicator of a fa- of a quasi fascist well yeah i mean that's that's is, what I, is industrial policy right yeah, that's what i was going to say you know you wind up in this situation where you can't say the truth cuz right. cuz your owners don't it doesn't it doesn't comport with their political goals Anyway, sorry, that's it for me. Just wanted to point well, EDF and Uniper. So. Speaking of uh, fascism, communism, state control, we and we just talked about them a couple of weeks back because the coup. Uh, former Soviet president Mikhail Gorbachev passed away yesterday. Yeah. At 91 years old. Yeah, man. The eighth and final leader of the Soviet Union. Gorbachev sought to reform the communist state and infuse greater transits from the Wall Street Journal today. Yeah. And infuse transparency, but his efforts unleashed a wave of unstoppable forces that led to the nation's demise, reshaping the geopolitical landscape and leaving the U.S. as the world's sole superpower. Yeah, that, that, The quote that, from Gorby from his book, I do not relieve myself of responsibility for the initiated reforms because I am still deeply convinced that they were vital and ultimately will serve the well-being of my motherland yeah. and will be, and will be beneficial for the world, Mr. Gorbachev stated. Yeah, all that's a bunch of fiction. I mean, I, you know, the Wall Street Journal and what Gorbachev says, all that's a bunch of fiction. I, I'm getting to hate the line of work I've chosen. Um, it's a bunch of fiction. The reality of it is, is that the Russian, the communists were essentially bankrupt, that they did not have either the people or the resources to hold that empire together any longer, and that the only question was, how was it going to get blown up, and by whom? And you know, you want to talk about an August that's important. The August of 1980 was what really wrecked the Soviet Union, not... That's right. Not Mikhail yeah. Gorbachev, and with all due respect to the Wall Street Journal, 
not forces that were unleashed or any of that hoorah. What happened is, is that, you know, a, you cannot hold, you know, half a, you know, three quarters of a billion people in bondage indefinitely. And, you know, and Gorbachev, let's keep in mind, everyone's like, oh, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. They gave him the Nobel Peace Prize, for God's sake. He's a mid-level communist, you know, he was a middle-level communist is what he was, which means he was complicit in all of the stuff that went bad in the Soviet Union while he was there. And I'm not talking about when he was the boss. I'm talking about when he was even just a Oh, of course. Of course. So, you know, he's a great man and blah, 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 blah. But the guy was born in 1931, I guess, which means he was alive for the terrors of the 50s and probably partially involved. So... Sorry, I can't resist. I mean, you know, you can do <laughs> no, something like this. This is why we're on the unregulated podcast. I, uh, um, I mean, he's not as bad as Lincoln, but come on, man. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Get more blowback for that. <laughs> come on, man. I I'm, we uh, had to... I'm kidding. I'm kidding with the Lincoln thing, guys. Lay off. No, it, it's interesting, though, because uh, uh, I read somewhere that Vladimir Putin was like, meh. Yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah, I'm sure. That was pretty much it. No, uh, because you know, of course, Putin is, I'm sure, more than pissed uh, as as how as to how it unwound, um, because he's trying to put it back together. Basically, yeah, I was going to say he probably would have preferred a slightly more bloody um, arrangement than what Mr. Gorbachev now, tolerated. When you said August of 1980, I thought you were uh, going to reference something specific, but I will say that I'm uh, happy to ref something. The, I, the, no, 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 no! Don't please don't, because you'll blow. You'll you'll uh, go ahead mess with my thunder there are three people that bear the bulk of the responsibility for the demise of the soviet union margaret thatcher pope saint pope john paul ii and ronald wilson reagan yeah there's some of that i'll i'll, I'll i'm willing to give everybody their due um I, I think every american president after world war ii was good not great at this right they were good they did what they needed to do to not lose to the russians i also want to point out one other guy george cannon right the author of the famous long telegram um you know ten thousand words about how we're going to beat the russians mm -hmm. and Reason the b team at the department of defense which included uh our our former friend and colleague alec alec Alex, Alexi. Yeah, the guys like that, right? And the reason why I bring Kenan up is because I am waiting and have been waiting patiently for the analog to the long telegram with respect to the Chinese. And we still don't have it, which is partially why we've been wandering around, because we don't have any sort of master theory about how to attack them, how to approach them, how to address their, their challenge. And, you know, you, Kenan was right. Just, just don't let them expand, and their internal contradictions will eventually topple them. And sure enough, forty-two years after forty, uh, in forty, almost forty, almost forty years exactly after Kennan writes that, Gorbachev shows up and says, "Hey, guess what? We're bankrupt, and we got to do something different." Like, yeah, bingo, bango. And you know, the funny thing is, I'll bet you yeah, jump on a bus and move down to Florida where you belong. Exactly. <laughs> I'll bet you. I'll bet you. Not a single one of these things encomias to um, Gorbachev was going to mention George Kennan. Yeah. Despite the fact that he predicted the guy 40 years before. Wow. We're, we're running a very literate podcast today. <laughs> All right. So today I had a, a briefing from John McLaughlin. Yeah who released uh, yet another survey. Uh, it's it's like the same survey, just, just you know, pushes it out like once a month, well, I think. Well, the Trump guys keep paying him. He's going to keep doing the surveys. Yeah. Um, and it's fairly consistent. Fairly consistent. You, uh, everything's pretty much the same, all the same questions. This, um, this month's... Uh, what jumped out at me, uh, and we'll put the, the poll in the, in the show notes, is that the in the generic ballot the uh, republicans and the democrats are dead even yeah biden uh right, right track wrong track is still like blown out of the water um 67 
percent said wrong track 28 said right direction these are likely voters across the board literally 45 45 and intensity is about the same for both parties in the generic yep job satisfaction uh, slight slight improvement for biden 43 percent approved okay favorability unfavorable slightly better for biden as i mentioned um nobody comes anywhere close to beating trump or biden in terms of preference for president right yep but here's the deal trump is beating biden by by fully five points yeah in the survey uh, one-on-one right so uh what that tells me and you you tell me if it's different is that trump is running five percent ahead of the republicans in this in this cycle yeah that's probably not right i mean that's but, not that's not the right way to think about okay, that it, the way i think about it is is that and if you tie it to sort of the results of the of the new york congressional that we were supposed to flip yeah trump voters are not voting for are not coming to the polls to vote for republicans they're sitting home they're not giving republicans a reason to show up yeah, and they still haven't given the republicans a reason to show up yeah, I think that's right. I, I, here's the thing. Trump is so odd, right? He's so he's so different. The polling has trouble accommodating for him. It, I, I, you know, I think we're ahead by five points in the generic ballot. I don't think we're even. I saw that, sir. I, I don't think we're even. I think we're plus five. I do think probably Trump is plus five on Biden and plus whatever it was on Kamala Harris, six or Biden. seven or something. Um, you know, but. It it doesn't really matter because that election is like two years and two months from now. Right. I understand that. But if you're the other thing that I found interesting in the survey was GOP was Republicans were winning independence up until this month. And now independents are moving into the undecided camp. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. That that tells you another thing, right? They're not go necessarily going to Biden at this point or the Democrats. Well, but... it could tell you it could tell you one of two things, right? It could tell you that they're that they're migrating away from the Republicans and towards the Democrats. It could tell you they're migrating just away from the Republicans and are thinking about it. It could also tell you your sample is 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 um a little gamey and you're you got a bad year, right? You got a bad month rather. Um, you'd have to see like three or four months of migration before you really understood what the heck's going on. We ain't going to have three months, right? People are going to start voting here shortly. So, yeah, right. It, it, his, it, his conclusion was, and this is a paraphrase, yeah. unless, the, unless the Republicans start putting sand in the engines of the Democrats right after Labor Day, when early voting starts in earnest, it's going to be at best a red ripple. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Did he have a number or did he just have poetry? What do you mean? I mean, did he say, hey, Republican uh, probably plus 20 uh, and plus one or was it just, hey, it's no, it was in the in the high teens, I think, is what he said. Yeah. Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. I'm, I'm, I'm like 25. Um, and I'm also more of the, probably more optimistic than most people in the Senate. Right. I think I'm I think I'm plus one or two now in the Senate. So, but yeah, I, 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 I have, I think I've been saying that all along, like, you know, the expectations are way out of proportion to the data and the data hasn't really changed a hell of a lot, but I think people, more people are just starting to read it and look at it. I could. Yeah. Okay. So you wanted to make a, we're in the political side of this podcast. Yeah. I think think I am. I think I'm ready to make predictions now in four races. All right. I'm a little concerned about it because it's a little early, but I, I think I sense the trajectory of the race. I think in Pennsylvania, you know, let me just make it easy. I think in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in Arizona, and in Nevada, I think the Republican Senate candidates are going to ultimately win. All four of those. Yes. 
Yes, I'm I, willing the, to give the, you three. The the inability of the inability of Senator Warnock to shake Herschel Walker tells me that unless there's some great big giant October surprise waiting for us, possible, um, Walker's going to win that race because you have a bunch of people who are not going to tell pollsters they're voting for him. Right. So you know the kind of like the Trump phenomenon. Yeah, that's right? right. The fact the fact that Warnock's been unable to shake him makes me think he's going to lose that race. Um, in Pennsylvania, I think John Fetterman has had his moment and is now going to get chewed up by the facts of his life. And I think that's right. I just wish that that Dr. Oz's press secretary or comms director would tone it you know, kind of basically go dark for a little bit. Yeah, I, it would be better if he vacationed in Vermont for the rest yeah. of the campaign. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and in Vermont, I'm in Vermont and Nevada um, and Arizona, I think um, the organization, the Republican organization among the Hispanics is going to be good enough. And in Arizona, especially, I think Peter Thiel is eventually going to give Blake Masters whatever he needs to win. Well, I was going to say that I was going to give, I was going to lean towards you on three. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know about that fourth one. I, I, I'm sort of, I'm still Arizona. Empty. Just such a weird, yeah, it's just yeah. such a funky state. Yeah, we, and, and right. And we've lost, we've lost two winnable races there in the last two cycles, right? So, yeah. in all fairness, I, I hate it when you blame candidate failure. But in all fairness, um, Senator McSally was not all that good. And then, you know, the fact that she lost a race and then got appointed, I think, really pissed a lot of people off. I know it would piss me off if I was in Arizona. Oh, yeah. You know, definitely. we we specifically rejected this person. Why are you why are you sticking us with her? Yeah, exactly. That was a blunder by Deuce, Governor Ducey. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, so those are my those are my four. The other thing I wanted to point out real quick, political. I think the student loan thing helps all, all four of those. I do too. I do those too. Students. I do. I think it clarifies a bunch of things. Right. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out is a lot of talk about a lot of happy talk out of the White House about economic performance. I would remind everybody the University of Michigan index of consumer sentiment is at its lowest point, even with an uptick, is at its lowest point since 1980, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and its lowest point, it, 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 it has tied its lowest point ever. So um, it's not a surge of, it's not a surge of confidence. It's a, um, the fall has been arrested kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Um, I got a couple of quick hits. Lay it on. Wall Street, Wall Street Journal today again. Uh, you can tell I read the Wall Street Journal this morning. Uh, August 31. Life expectancy in the U.S. fell again in 2021. Yeah. Uh, fell by 0.9 year on average to 76, 76.1 years, according to the, you know, it's from CDC. It has to be right. Sure. right? Smaller drop than 2020 when life expectancy decreased 1.8 years. But the combined figures for the two years were the largest since the 20s. Um. You know, everyone's talking about COVID, especially like the Washington Post, New York Times and everything. But I I feel like it also has something to do with this. Today marks International Overdose Awareness Day. And according to the CDC, U.S. drug overdose deaths reached an all-time high in 2021, killing more than 107,000 people. For scale, that's, that's more than the population of South Bend, Indiana. And since 2013, law enforcement has encountered a stunning rise in people who test positive for fentanyl, an extremely deadly narcotic and what officials call a national crisis. One special FBI agent from San Diego described it this way, saying, quote, there is no doubt we are in the middle of a fentanyl crisis at the hands of criminal enterprises transcending our borders into the communities where we live. Okay. That was from MSNBC. Yeah. Uh, so, and that was Diaz Balart who was reporting that. So, this isn't Fox News, folks. Well, it's straight on, right? You've had a hundred thousand deaths. You've had a bunch. Of, you had a surge in suicides, especially among. Um, don't take this the wrong way, Tom. Especially among middle-aged white dudes. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's. I won't, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> there's a there's there's been a bunch of reasons for the for the. Um, for the drop in life expectancy. It's not good. 
it's not good. And you know the thing the thing that makes it not good is the um the two problems, right? The drug abuse, the opioid stuff, and the fentanyl, um, and the suicide. There's no vaccination for that, right? We're not. That's not something we're gonna we're gonna be yeah. able to solve um, through technology, right? That's gonna have to be a person to person thing. But but that's you know but. But crossing the border, just walking across the border, that's not how that's it works. That's not how it happens, Tom. It's not how it works. Not how it works. They they fly so, across and the then, border. And you know, there was a report today, I think, that said that they're they're smuggling this stuff in packages that look like Skittles for yeah, guns. That's right. That's right. Um yeah, I mean this is the other thing, the other report that came out last week was that the Chinese are essentially bankrolling the Mexicans, their uh, Mexican drug cartels yeah. that they're um they're um they're giving them the infusion of cash they need to professionalize and expand their operations. Yeah. So that's good if, news. If anyone is under the illusion that they aren't playing the long game here, trying to destroy Western values yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the United States in particular, then I don't know what else. Yeah, we need the long telegram. Lee, Lee, I don't know. Lee Miller, I know you're out there. You got to write that thing. Okay, here's a fun little tidbit. The Washington Post is on track to lose money this year, sources say. It's been unable to boost subscribers back to the 3 million it had in 2020. And CEO Fred Ryan has floated cutting 100 newsroom positions, to which a friend of ours said, maybe the New York Times will uh, take one of the 15 or 20 climate reporters off of their hands. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I'm... I've been watching this about the post, right? It's been a hit job by the Times. I'm kind of wondering yeah. why they did it. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you, as as our guest Liz Bowman said last week, that's why people are turning to amazing shows like the podcast, like the Unregulated Podcast. Yeah. So I'm not sure she's right about that, but whatever. <laughs> all right. What do we got? I am done. I am all done. What do you have to close us with? And then I've got the. I've got a killer closer closer. I've got nothing. You go. All right, here we are. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That was the Gipper, ladies and gentlemen. Namaste. All right, guys. Tune in next week for our 100th episode of the Unregulated Podcast. It's going to be lit. Hey!